mindfulness mode. You'll be surprised how many things you're really missing, you know, whether it be visually, sounds, any, any kind of thing where, you, where you're missing what's truly going on around you. Hey, Mindful Tribe, welcome to the show. Today, we're going to be talking about sports injuries, and we're going to be talking specifically about ACL injuries, injuries of the knee. And I'm here with Dr. Keegan Hadley. He's a doctor of occupational therapy, and he does psychiatric and neurological clinical research. He's also an Amazon bestselling author, who specializes in psychological treatments and he specializes in a treatment called ACT which we're going to be talking about that stands for acceptance and commitment therapy and as far as I'm concerned it really ties right in with mindfulness and he really is the man who has a deep understanding of all of this because he personally experienced emotional distress as a, as a result of a sports injury which we'll be talking about so uh well let's get started with the interview dr hadley thank you so much for joining us here on mindfulness mode are you in mindfulness mode today i i sure am i sure am thank you bruce uh, happy to be here great so what does mindfulness mean to you dr hadley it means living in the moment where you presently are because you know regardless of what is going on in that situation a lot of people tend to have a bit of an aversion to mindfulness, you know, living in the moment. It's particularly difficult because we have social media, we have 43 different Netflix specials that just came out and everything's pulling us in different directions, whether that be looking forward, looking back, um, but, but really living in the moment, even if that makes you walk through some difficult emotions is, is, is very important. And it's something that I have to do on a regular basis personally, as well as with my clients. So. Well, Dr. Hadley, you're a specialist in this whole area of ACL, and maybe you can tell us what that is, first of all, because I'm sure we have listeners who are wondering. Yeah. So let's start with that. Yep. So the ACL is one of the four main ligaments that stabilize the knee joint. Um, it stands for anterior cruciate ligament. There's the posterior cruciate ligament. Both of those two are uh, right in the middle of the knee joint. They form an X. Uh, the cruciate kind of, um, you know, lends, lends its credence to that. And then you have on the inside and the outside of the knee, you have the medial collateral ligament, which runs down the inner part of your leg and the lateral collateral ligament. And altogether, those kind of form the um, stabilizers of your knee joint. Uh, particularly, you know, if, if you watch sports or anything like that, you've likely heard of the ACL. It's the most commonly injured knee ligament, and it prevents anterior tr translation or um, forward movement of your thigh bone over your shin bone. So it, it essentially acts as your brakes when you're sprinting and go to stop. Yeah, well, I've met so many athletes who have experienced injuries there, ACL. Why is it so prone to injuries? That's the that's the billion dollar question. Um, I mean, there, there's lots of reasons for that. I think it has to do with or the way we train presently, mm -hmm. uh, um, I, I think honestly that, that probably has a lot to do as far as um, we're always training the muscles that assist you with acceleration, but we, we spend very little time on the muscles that decelerate you um, and, and uh, only changing through brief range, ranges of motion and getting very strong. Like uh, everyone mm -hmm. does lots of squats and is strengthening their hips and those muscles, but there's a lot of lower leg muscles 
that are essentially the first line of defense for your knee that people have probably never worked out in their life and, and things like that just as far as balance between front and back air leg uh, one leg to the other and as well as training the lower leg muscles is something that um, you know our, our current uh, training uh, just systemically it is missing in my opinion so. Right. So, Keegan, you played college football and semi-professional football. And tell us about the the psychological impact when you experience these injuries, these ACL injuries. Yep. Um, so, as you alluded to, I tore uh, both ACLs, one, one on my left, one on my right. Um, and for me personally, I can't, I can't speak to everyone, but it was more so devastating psychologically than physically because – you, you have your legs, obviously, which as an athlete, I mean, they're your, they're your main tools. I mean, and uh, they, they kind of failed you and you don't particularly know why. And not only that, you, you're kind of removed from your sport, which acts for many athletes as their main coping mechanism. So if you have a bad day, you go out to practice, you work, you know, a little extra hard, um, you know, to make sure that the rest of your day is good. You have a good practice. You typically have a good day. It's it's kind of how those things work. And if you don't have a good practice, you can watch film. You know what to do physically to have a better day. Um, there, there's not a lot of athletes that are focusing on the psychological skills to handle um, everyday life without their sport. So again, if they're removed from that, they're kind of left to their own devices as far as other coping mechanisms that aren't exactly um, normally they're, they're not normally the healthiest of coping mechanisms so and, and that coupled with the fact that an acl injury is um you know a particularly long rehabilitation period um the literature shows that um you know for for the best results you, you need to wait over a year you know that the, on day 366 the efficacy of your rehab you know, skyrockets for whatever reason. No one can really explain that, but that that's the current literature anyways. Right. So tell us how you were feeling for those first weeks and months after your injuries. What was, how did it affect you? Mm -hmm. So I, I kind of, I'm a very visual person. So I, I distinctly remember after my first ACL injury, I was a junior in college. Um, it was, fall camp which is when you know back in back in my day now i sound like i'm 80 years old but we, we had two a days um and i uh tore it during the first practice of the day and i was sitting on everyone has seen you know whether it's on sports center or the news those stupid uh carts that they carry off football players on so i was sitting on the back of that after um it was a one-on-one -on -one drill like a pass rush drill i played defense when i tore my acl and um I remember sitting on the back of that cart and almost um, feeling like I was sinking. Um, and if you imagine you're on a lake and right above that lake is everything you've ever wanted as far as a, um, you know, uh, sport accomplishments, like your ideal world, what your ideal um, goals were within your sport, like whether that be a video, whether that be a picture, I felt like I was slowly sinking into the ground and getting farther and farther away from, you know, what I had always dreamed of doing, because it just like, you know, uh, everyone else who plays sports, you, you want to continue to progress and, you know, move up to professional or, you know, what, whatever the case may be. But I just kind of felt like, um, you know, that that injury that I, I never thought could happen to me, you know, I thought it was 
only something that happened on um, Sports Center, but I felt like I was getting farther and farther away from my dreams. And it's a very, um, you know, dark place that athletes usually find themselves in. And I, I distinctly remember being alone in that moment and no one, you know, no one. And I had all the resources really anyone would ever want as far as an athlete. I had athletic trainers. Um, I had a physical therapist. I had sports scientists um, that were all working with me on my um, return to play. And, you know, no one even broached the subject of the psychological side of this injury, which, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of firmly planting myself in that area now. Right. So that takes us to ACT, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy. Where did you hear about this and how did this change your approach? Yeah. So um, I always have to claim I am, I am a very uh, slow learner, unfortunately. Um, so I, I'd, I'd love to claim that after my second ACL injury, um, you know, I started going to therapy um, and I learned all these skills just due to that. But I unfortunately can't claim that. I, after my second ACL injury, I really started to um, kind of spiral as far as my life went um, because I was going down that same dark path, but I knew I was essentially done playing. Um, so it just kind of took me to new depths. Um, I started to abuse substances uh, like alcohol and drugs, and I made some very poor relationship decisions. Um, and I, started dating who I would find out would be a very severe alcoholic. And as a result of that relationship endured a lot of uh, emotional abuse kind of culminating in me being suicidal. So after I, I got out of that um, and I knew obviously my life was going to go, you know, one of two ways, I either need to make a drastic change or, you know, my life's not really going to end up the way I want it to. So I started going to therapy um, and, and believe it or not, that's actually where I got even more, frustrated because oh, really? I, yeah, believe, believe it or not, that, that, that was actually, cause I knew I was doing what I needed to, but yeah. I wasn't seeing the progress I oh, wanted. So you just became more and more discouraged then as a result of it. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I was very, very irritated that I just wasn't seeing any progress with traditional cognitive behavioral therapy. It's likely just, you know, uh, the way my mind works. I, I'm one of those people. If you say, Hey, don't, don't look over there. Um, you know, don't think that, um, I will stare over there and I will think that thought eight times harder than I ever had before. And I think you're describing almost every human being I know. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, for there, there's a lot of um, efficacy behind CBT. I just couldn't, I, I tried so hard and I, I couldn't see any progress. So I, I kind of, I'm a, I'm a person who, if I don't know something, I'll scour the internet and try to find it. So I, I looked all over the internet and found acceptance and commitment therapy or ACT. Um, found a therapist who practice act and um, started working with them. And I, I, I still do, you know, to this day, uh, more intermittently than before. But in that first session, you know, I started to take us very small, but I, I took a measured step forward. You know, it's, it's not a magic pill or anything like that, but I was able to see just a little bit of improvement and something that I could, you know, use that was more conducive to my brain. So I, I've been slowly climbing um, ever since that day. Wow. Wow. Well, tell us more about what ACT is. Yeah. How, how um, does it work? Yep. So it's kind of like a first or second cousin to cognitive behavioral therapy as far as, you know, the, the way it's set up. Um, it was founded by Dr. Stephen Hayes. He's kind of like the godfather of uh, 
of the intervention. And it has six, you know, uh, foundational principles. There's okay. diffusion, diffusion, which was the small, the, you know, the small step that started to slowly guide me out of that hole. There's acceptance, there's mindfulness, self as a context, values, and uh, purposeful action. So um, okay. yeah, it, th those are kind of the main tenets. And es essentially the difference is usually um, cognitive behavioral therapy is looking to minimize the negative symptomology that you're going through. For me, um, it was the perseverative thought that, you know, I am broken. I broke, you know, I, I both my legs got screwed up. And, you know, psychologically, I, I was kind of screwed up at the time. I, I had this thought that was always kind of running through my head. I'm broken. I'm broken. No one's going to want to be with me. This, that, and the other thing. Whereas um, ACT more so looks to kind of prepare you for the inevitable. It, it, it's not trying to redirect you or make you um, avoid those difficult feelings. It's kind of making, it's giving you the tools to sit there and go through what you're going through and prepare for, you know, the inevitable. You're not going to live a full life unless you have some hardship throughout the way. So it kind of um, is just giving you the skills necessary to walk through those challenges. Right. So, so you you really embraced this, and then later you came to a point where you actually wrote a book about this called "Torn: Overcoming the Psychological Challenges Post ACL Injury." Tell us when you made the decision to write this book and and how you mm -hmm. arrived there. Yep. So, as part of my therapy, my therapist um, prescribed, I guess, that I, I I journal quite a bit. I'm a writer, just. Naturally, I, I have a very busy brain, I guess. So mm -hmm. getting things out on paper has always been very um, beneficial just to my day to day life. So I was journaling through different situations throughout my life, starting my probably freshman year of high school with, mm -hmm. um, you know, I would have panic attacks and kind of have to uh, go to the bathroom, even, even though I you know wasn't going to the bathroom just to get a respite from um, you know, the stresses of the day all the way through the emotionally abusive relationship that I had, you know, all the sports, um, you know, injuries and those things as well. But just how my life would have been better if I would have had act in those times. So as far as when I decided to write the book, it was when I was, you know, a while into therapy and had this big, uh, you know, journal essentially of just my different experiences, different stories of my life. And, you know, I went, uh, well, you know, other people probably have had similar issues as far as, um, you know, what they're feeling after these injuries and then, you know, any subsequent uh, subsequent events that follow it. Um, so I just literally plugged in um, literature behind it. Not not too heavy, but I wanted to right. make sure I wasn't just making uh, bold faced claims and, um, mm -hmm. you know, put the book together rather organically. It wasn't, a, you know, sit down for three months and write kind of thing. It was, um, you know, ra rather quick. Uh, and it was a very cathartic process. Um, so I, I definitely, um, it, it helped me just as much as it will help anyone else, I hope. Discover the remarkable journey of Anonymous John. No one likes feeling alone, anxious, or overweight. But John refused to let his circumstances define him. When his weight ballooned to a staggering 600 pounds, he made a choice to take control of his life. 
He began documenting his journey in his journal, and after shedding his first 103 pounds, he decided to share his story with the world. Through his journal, he offers inspiration and hope to anyone struggling with similar challenges. If you're looking to be inspired and uplifted, the Anonymous John podcast is for you. Join us on this journey of transformation and visit our website, theanonymousjohn.com. Well, in the book, you were able to tell your stories just from the heart. And, and yep. I think readers are really, really relating to that and have, have just embraced this book 100%. Tell us some of the feedback you received from writing this book. Yeah, it's been uh, kind of a surreal experience just as far as every, you know, um, you know, couple days or week or wh- whatever the case may be. I'll have a reader reach out who's, uh, you know, um, in middle school or high school or college. Um, who, who went through this injury and, um, you know, it really related to it and they've shared it with some of their friends. And, you know, I even had a, um, a cute younger lady who had told me that she did a book report on my book. And it was just, it was very weird reading the email because it just doesn't feel real at this point because everyone assumes um, that once, you know, sports were my life. And there are many of, you know, my clients or, you know, just throughout the world, there's a lot of people whose sports really are their lives. And they feel as though when they're done with their sport, they'll never feel that, um, you know, passion again for anything. And um, I uh, personally, if you find, you know, a, a way to help people um, that, that's very meaningful to you, you can feel that throughout the, you know, the entire lifespan but you, you really got to do some soul searching to find what that is and usually you're, you're going to have to dig into a point in your life where you ha- you did or are having a lot of pain and sit with that and, and kind of find your purpose moving forward because of that pain because you're you can't have pain without love so right interesting yes well i recently finished a book by david goggins who is a navy seal and he talked mm-hmm. a lot about his knee injury and the frustrations mm-hmm. and yep. how he had a surgery and he felt like the surgeon wasn't being upfront with him about what he found and and then he was being led to believe he was going to be okay but really he didn't feel like you know he had been treated well what do you think is that an experience that a lot of people have with acl injuries I'll choose my words carefully. Um, I believe knee surgery is just as a whole, whether that's, um, you know, meniscus repairs, ACL repairs, or total knee surgeries, they're, they're kind of giving you a, um, ideal. And in some cases, you know, I'm, I'm sure it is the best option, but in, in my opinion, it's, it's a very common occurrence to where someone goes through a surgery and is expecting one thing and realizes that there's actually much more work that needs done on the tail end, the, the therapy um, and, you know, your daily activity and function are, are more important than the surgery many times. It's probably a 60-40, even though, again, I'll never claim to be able to do what surgeons do. But as far as your recovery and getting, you know, maybe where you want in regard to your daily activity, getting back to where you were pre-injury is more so on your activity and your physical therapy. Um, you know, in, in, in my opinion, and a lot of times, even the people who are doing the physical therapy, uh, you know, um, God bless them, they, they probably haven't went through an ACL injury. And if they have that, that makes it much easier for them to relate and understand the, the very um, specific issues that these patients are going through, because it's, it's hard to explain. 
um, whenever, uh, when I had both my knees done, um, it almost feels, it's kind of weird to say, but it almost feels like a leg transplant because even though you're only changing, you know, a very small, I mean, it's just a, it's just a ligament. It's an inch by an inch and a half or whatever it is. It's, it's very small, but your, your leg just doesn't feel when you're doing movements, the way you've, you know, you grew up with or the way you're accustomed to. And then if, if you're an athlete or an active person, you're used to doing these same movements and them feeling a certain way. So when they don't, it's, it's very, very frustrating. Yeah, I can imagine. Can you tell us a story about someone you've worked with that mm -hmm. you've really helped them to transition from a, a tough place like maybe you were in and then to move to a place where they felt really empowered? Of course. So uh, this last summer, I, I worked with a gentleman who even played. Um, he was in the same position group I was in as uh -huh. a football player. He was he was a college football player. He uh, tore his ACL. He was kind of... Um, you know, on the up and up, which um, is always frustrating when you're improving a lot and then you injure yourself. And he was just having a really hard time with um, not not so much like um, like a psychological, in, you know, issue where he had like a lot of um, depression or anything like that. But it's one of the main issues that a lot of these people are going through is a fear of re-injury uh it's they, they call it kinesiophobia and it it's it's very difficult because the return to play um, parameters that most therapists take you through i i don't know if you're familiar at all but they're they're not um they're not nearly difficult enough for an athlete to feel like oh i did that now i can go you know in this case line up across from a 320 pound guy who may or may not dive at my knee. Um, right. You know, they're not exactly conducive to you usually need to stress your it, it's my opinion anyway, that you need to stress your knee much more in your training and rehabilitation than your sport can, which in some cases is very difficult, but you, you have to do that in order to feel comfortable coming back. So I, I say that just with um, the understanding that that's kind of what I had to lead uh, this gentleman through because he he didn't feel like he was quite ready. Um, so I, I took him through some stuff that I have found throughout my, um, you know, my my journey and, and looking mm -hmm. through because um, I, I still love to train and I've had to really alter how I train in order to feel better because anyone with any knee injury or knee pain will tell you it's very common to go work out because you love working out. But then two, three four days later, still have knee pain. Well, that, that's kind of a deterrent from doing, you know, whether that be your sport or whether that be just doing what you love, which is working out. So anything that makes you feel better usually is the right way to keep pushing. Um, as far as your knee, it's not going to be like something fun. I'm not saying that, but yeah. as far as uh, something that makes you feel better after the workout, it's, it's usually, um, you know, you're going in the right direction. So I gave him kind of what I had found worked best for ACL injuries specifically because I had been particularly frustrated uh, with that as, as you alluded to Goggins was. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I gave him actually more physical help and just a, a different outlook on what to do, how to approach it. Um, and he had a very successful year this last year and um, I, I couldn't be more proud of him. I, again, I don't talk with him as much as I did you know, in, in the thick of it, but I'm, you know, uh, very proud of him for sure. 
Wow, that's a fantastic story. Yeah, Keegan, I've uh, worked in bullying prevention for a long time, and I don't know how this maybe dovetails with work that you've done, but do you have a story about bullying that somehow relates to mindfulness where, you know, maybe mindfulness would have made a difference? I don't know if if you have something that you can share with us about this or not. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess bullying would be, there's lots of, as you know, um, there's lots of forms of bullying. Totally. Um, and with people, you know, uh, myself and then people I, I work with uh, deal with a very specific kind of um, this kind of torment, you know, whether you want to call yeah. it bullying or not. So uh, the, these injuries, you know, whether it be, you know, an Achilles tear, a uh, Tommy John injury and overhead th- overhead throwing athletes or ACL injuries, as I said, they're very long recovery periods. And Mm -hmm. for most of that recovery period, they look fine. You know, we're not walking around with a cast. We're not, you know, it's, it's very internal that it's healing. So because of that, you always have, you know, those um, athletes, unfortunately are not known for being the biggest brainiacs in the world. Um, And and in some cases that's true. You always have those people who, um will ask you hey um why aren't you back you look fine i saw you doing this that and the other thing in the gym you know come back out to practice um you deal with that a lot and it's it's very very uh frustrating because they they don't understand which i'm i'm glad they haven't had this injury but it's it's very frustrating um nevertheless so what what i'd say is uh, when i when i have when i had that experience Personally, I didn't have these skills, but when I talk with my clients, um, the best way to deal with any negative emotion, because there's no way to go through that type of situation and not have, you know, um, some level of negative emotions. And the best way to deal with any negative emotions is uh, counter to what kind of the, uh, you know, counter to what society would say to do. Most people would say, you know, if you feel bad, you know, something's wrong. Um, and that's, that couldn't be farther from the truth. So if you sit there with those negative emotions, um, usually, and just focus on them, focus on why you're feeling them and just try to sit there with them, they actually minimize much quicker than if you try to push them to the side. And, and don't deal with them because essentially what you're doing is you're kind of tricking your brain into going, okay, we don't want to think about that, but you don't realize that as you do that, you're giving it almost more power over you. So I always imagine, um, you know, pushing, uh, like sitting in a dollhouse almost. And if you push something outside, it's almost like a balloon creeping back in, like getting stronger and pushing back um against the dollhouse and you can see it like kind of encroaching upon your space that's how i feel about um you know negative emotions that you're not sitting in dealing with um so that that's definitely a very common uh bullying experience that my clients as well as i dealt with yeah interesting yeah thanks for sharing that uh keegan as we move forward toward the end of the interview i want to ask you five quick answer questions and so just 30 second answers are perfect the first one is this who is one person who has been a powerful mindfulness influence in your life mindfulness influence um i would say i'm I'm a big podcast guy 
Yeah. Uh, Dr. John Deloney has been fantastic. Um, just some of the things he said, he doesn't speak usually directly about mindfulness, but some of the things that he say really um, gets me to take a step back and really live in the moment. So indirectly, he, he helps me quite a bit. Um, yeah, that'd be my answer. Okay. Dr. John Deloney, do you know the name of his podcast? Uh, the Dr. John Deloney Show. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, emotions. Let's talk about emotions. And you've talked about emotions a fair amount already. But uh, how has mindfulness uh, changed how you deal with your emotions? Mindfulness has changed how I deal with my emotions by, again, actually um, sitting with them um, and actually focusing on them because it, it almost minimizes them. It's, it's, it's the same thing I do with my, um, if I feel a panic attack or heavy anxiety coming on, I do the exact same thing. Um, and I, I found it almost minimizes the strength um, or the power the emotions or anxiety have over me. Right. My next question is about breathing, and this is important to most athletes. Is there uh, something you can share with us about breathing and how that mm -hmm. has helped you through this whole thing? Yep, um, for sure. So one thing, one practice that I got into as I was um, getting out of those difficult situations is my, my therapist had me uh, take a cold shower. And it's it's not uh, not for the reasons you know you might think there's a plethora of uh, you know health benefits to cold showers, but actually it's very uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> but you, you still have to be able if you practice your breathing during that. Um, I, I found it was a very good um, way to prepare myself. Like say pregame, some people get um, you know ra rather anxious prior to games. Personally, I, I I'm a I was a very um, um, superstitious person so before my first start i actually threw up so then every subsequent start i had to throw up so a lot of athletes are, a lot of athletes are very much <laughs> very very much like that um so I, I would say that that gets you in the the same type of hostile environment to where you still have to really focus on your breathing even though it's extremely uncomfortable yeah that's interesting wow yeah well, let's go on with the next question. And then that's about a book and your book I recommend it. I know a lot of other people have recommended it too, because I've looked over the reviews on online. The book you wrote is called Torn, Overcoming the Psychological Challenges Post-ACL Injury. Are there any other books you would recommend on this topic of mindfulness or related to sports injury or anything like that? Oh, what was the name of the one I read in January? This is going to drive me insane. It's a lime green cover. I'm a very visual person, so it always frustrates me. Hey, Mindful Tribe, I'm just going to jump in here and tell you the book that Dr. Headley couldn't think of at that moment in time. And the book I looked at afterwards, it's called Rebound, Train Your Mind to Bounce Back Stronger from Sports Injuries. It's by Carrie Jackson Cheadle and Cindy Kuzma. So check out that book, Rebound. Mindful Tribe, you can always go to my show notes, mindfulnessmode.com, and you can check it out there. And uh, my last question is about apps. Are there any apps at all that you use that can help with mindfulness or your your mindset? Hmm. Again, uh, for me, I tend to focus on writing for mm -hmm. my mindfulness, actually. So I use, I believe it's called Writerly. It's daily prompts of... Um, 
just just getting my thoughts out. But uh, as as far as apps that more people are probably apt to listen to, um, it's kind of the typical ones like Calm, uh, mm-hmm. you know, th- those type of apps. But actually, because th- those cost money too, so I always feel bad recommending those to clients. But there, there's a ton of YouTube content. Like, yeah, I mean, you you can never quantify how many hours there are out there. Just if you find yeah. a particular uh, creator that you enjoy, I would highly recommend doing that as well because that's that's what I did when I was still in school and, you know, particularly broke. Um, so I, I couldn't recommend that uh, any any more because you, you never feel more at peace, I think, personally, whether you're, um, you know, just get done from church and praying or you um, – uh, just finish a you know a meditation session or um, you know a progressive relaxation session or you know the things I tend to lean more to but there's there's all kinds of different mindfulness um, creators out there I, I recommend finding one you like and kind of clinging to them yeah good advice and I like your advice about writerly as well because yeah it's true just writing down your thoughts journaling you know I can't over emphasize how important that is and it sounds like it's really worked for you too as we finish up the interview i want to ask you for any final words of advice you would have for any of our mindful tribe listeners out there maybe Mm. you've experienced a sports injury maybe you're feeling discouraged and down and and like you're just not sure where to head maybe you've got some advice for that type of listener yeah um definitely what what i would say the big thing that I always like to focus on is uh, removing yourself from um, technology uh, because it's extremely difficult to be mindful when your brain is going in 18 places at once. Um, living where you are is you know, particularly difficult in this age than it has been in any other time in human history because we have so many different distractions. So I would say um, as hard as, it, hard as it is, schedule time you know, where you, you can be away from your phone, whether that's 10 minutes, half an hour, whatever you can afford throughout your day to just be unplugged and be truly present with yourself, because you'll be surprised how many things you're really missing, you know, whether it be visually sounds, any any kind of thing where, you, where you're missing what's truly going on around you. And I think that's very, very important. Um, yeah. That's what I would yeah, say. That's good advice. Well, Dr. Hadley, thank you so much for joining us and, and talking about this. And, you know, it's just so important. There are a lot of people out there who are struggling with these kinds of issues. And, and I want to really thank you for doing the work that you do and putting that book out there and, and uh, helping people in the world. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, Bruce. Okay. All the best to you. Bye now. Hey, Mindful Tribe, thanks for listening to the show today. And for me, this was really enlightening because I have friends who are experiencing a lot of trouble with sports injuries and the psychological effects. And speaking of those psychological effects, I mean, I'm meeting more and more people who are living with anxiety, stress, they're stuck, they can't figure out why they can't move forward. And as you know, I'm a mindfulness life coach and I do hypnosis to help people move through that anxiety and move through what's holding them back. And that's what really charges me up in life is helping other people through these challenges. And so I don't know if you're experiencing some of these challenges or not but one of the first places to start is to become disciplined about getting focused and getting grounded and you can do that with 
just doing some meditation. And that may sound easy when I say, you know, just do some meditation, but if you've ever tried it, you might know it's not necessarily that easy for everybody. Well, I'm going to offer to do a personalized uh, guided meditation just for you. I will record it with you in mind. You know, share with me a couple of things that you're experiencing in your life. I will incorporate that into the guided meditation and make it all yours. And I will send you this recording made specifically for you. Just send me an email, Bruce at mindfulnessmode.com. This is yours for free for being a listener on Mindfulness Mode. So just do that today. Don't hesitate. Send me an email and I'll create that personalized meditation for you. And with that, take what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.